What's poppin' CROs? I have got Mark Colgan on the line today, interviewing him from... Are you in the UK today? Uh, no, I'm in Bulgaria. Of oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Not even close. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Mark, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us what you do at um, Tash Drive and a little bit about your background? Sure. And hey, Christian, thanks for inviting me on the show. Really looking forward to it. So, um, at TaskDrive, at the moment, I'm the, the CRO, um, so currently looking after the sales, marketing, operations, and customer success function at TaskDrive. Uh, for reference, TaskDrive um, is, I guess, sales development as a service. Uh, they do lead research data enrichment for busy SDRs, really, and um, account executives. Um, in terms of my background, um, I started my career in recruitment and actually in a BDR role in recruitment. And people say they cut their teeth in the first role. I, I well and truly smashed my teeth in, in <laughs> sales in the, um, in the first role, making 60 to $70 a day. It was hard slog. It was horrible. Um, 60 to 70 what? Sorry? Outbound uh, calls. Per day. Oh, okay. Um, okay. As, well, as well as all the admin and then as well as interviewing candidates. So it wasn't like that was all we did all day. Um, and, you know, recruiters are, uh, uh, have the reputation of being scum of the earth. So it wasn't, it wasn't an easy, easy job. But I did, did that for a few years, um, was successful um, in, in my recruitment career, but moved into an internal recruitment role, worked at Experian. So got the kind of the corporate experience there. Um, but I decided to pivot my career by teaching myself marketing. So I bought um, the Dummies Guide to Internet Marketing and I, I practiced on a few great Did you really? Yeah, yeah, it's a thick book. Um, and, and, you know, if if you read it now, it wouldn't even be relevant because everything's changed so much. Um, and what, about what year was that, like uh, 2010 or so? 2000, yeah, no, 2013, I think, around 2013. So you really can teach, your, teach yourself this stuff, at you least can. for a little while. Yeah, no, you can. And then working in recruitment means that you can trick people into thinking <laughs> that you know what you're doing. So it was the perfect combo. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no. So I, I taught myself that, but I actually, I genuinely went out and practiced on a few friends' businesses. And this is when social media was really starting to kick off or, or having a profile on social media was important. So built websites, did social media, did lead gen for them. And after about six months, I decided to interview for a marketing role. I left my recruitment role in HR and moved into marketing. And throughout my, the rest of my marketing career, so I spent about six or seven years in, in marketing and I'd always been either the first digital, mar- the first marketer or the first digital marketer, which meant I had to build really? shit from scratch. So I learned as I went. And the great thing about that first marketing role is they'd never had a marketer. So they didn't know how bad of a job I was really doing or how, <laughs> or how amazing of a job I was doing. And, and even I wasn't sure at times. So um, it was a really great experience and um, something that I kind of attribute to, to where I am now is kind of be, getting my hands dirty and, and Building things from from scratch has been um, has been really vital to to the, the I guess the, the success that I've achieved in my my career so far. So um, so let so, me let me let me stop you real quick. So sure. were, were you purposely going into companies that you knew had no online marketing, or that just kind of in retrospect worked that way? Yeah yeah yeah. I, I, so oh no, what so for my first role? Uh, yeah yeah. No, well, they had a website, which was awful. Um, and then, so I thought, well, I can help them there at least. I could tell them it's awful and then maybe give them a few pointers. Um, Got it. And, but no, they, they, were, they had a marketer, but very much an old school. And this was the time where marketers were made of, of, of two types. There was two types of marketers. They were digital marketers, which were, albeit a little bit younger, going into marketing for the first time, knowing and being digital natives and coming in with all of the, the skills of, of digital. Um, and then there was the old school marketers who were learning the digital, but some of them were learning it quite reluctantly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I do do remember that time because I was actually recruiting sales and marketing roles at when I was at Experience. So was in a really unique position to see the good candidates and see the bad candidates. So I just made sure that my my CV, my application was was the good the good side, having been on the other side of the table. Um, but yeah, they 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 knew they needed digital. So I guess that 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 was the the signal for me to to go in. And that's actually a good point, Mark. So you, you're talking about how there were two types of marketing people, kind of like the up and coming digital and then the traditional. Um, do you think it's safe to say now that the you know to be in marketing, like there is no real best practice anymore? There's just kind of like remnants of it. Or how do how do you look at marketing now? Yeah, I, I think we're we're still we're still stuck in the process of we're trying to find the playbook and we're, we're looking at what Slack did and we're looking at Dropbox and looking at the hacks and. I think we're still trying, in general, marketers are still trying to see what others are doing and then they'll do the same thing as them. But it, in reality, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are best practices. There's, there's definitely things you, you should be doing, but only if it's right for your business. If it's not right uh, for your business. Uh, so one, one of the, later in my career, I did some consulting and, and it was a B2B service business. And the founder was adamant about having an Instagram account, but mm-hmm. none of his target audience were going to be on Instagram <laughs> and it would have just been a bit of fun for him um so i advise him if you want to do it for fun do it for fun but don't take the time and resource away from your marketing team where they could be spending their time on the more you know value adding um responsibilities and and and, you know driving revenue for your business rather than just dicking about on instagram so um yeah i I think that there is best practice but only if it's relevant and i think the most in the more successful marketers are the ones that are okay to say no to the best practices and do it the way that is relevant for, for their businesses and their audiences um, did you, do you have any takeaways or did you learn anything from that consulting gig to where, I guess, from a, a confidence standpoint, you know, you're, you're telling the owner of a business, like, this is a terrible idea. You need to do it this way. Yeah. Well, he, he I'm now known as his bullshit filter. So he comes to me now with, with these wacky ideas and I just say no, or, or say, yeah, that's a good one. Maybe, maybe stick with that. Um, I think when I look back at my career, I've, I've always been a consultant, whether that be in recruiting, whether that be advising, uh, you know, from a talent development, from a HR point of view. To, to, you know, having to pitch and implement tech stacks for my own internal business, I've always had to consult. I've always had to listen to what the, the, the problems were and really like actively listen to what does that problem mean and, and how, does that, how does that affect the rest of the business and how will this successful implementation drive revenue? Um, so I've always kind of taken that approach to, to my career. And again, that has positioned me really well in, uh, in, in, in the role that I'm in now as a CRO. Um, and why 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 do you say that? What is um what what's going on at Tash Drive that makes you a unique fit there as a CRO? Yeah, okay. So I'm at heart a salesperson that understands marketing, that cares about the customer, and wants to deliver an amazing experience through the product. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much me in a nutshell. Everything that keeps me going and things that I enjoy in, in the work that I do. Um, I love the sales element of it. I, I like to market and brand and bring people into the ecosystem that is Task Drive, all the companies that I'm representing. Um, and when I, like, when I say sell, I like to have conversations with people. That's ultimately what I do to sell. It's just having these conversations with individuals that may have a problem that we can solve. Uh, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, if we can't solve the problem, I'm more than happy still to have the conversation and add value because I definitely come from a you know, give first mantra and mm-hmm. always be connecting. So I think any conversation I have is like, who could I connect this person with uh, that could help them better than I could, for example. Um, so I think that's why, you know, what what drives me as an individual 
uh, and what I get a kick out of, like adding as a marketer, I've always been interested and always wanted to add value, uh, sorry, add revenue. I've never been interested in marketing qualified leads. Or I have, but only as a means to ends to add uh, sure. uh, uh, new opportunities and close one ops to the, to the business. Gotcha. And um, so, so one of the things you're doing at Tash Drive, and we talked, you and I talked about this in our our pre-call, it, you're solving a problem that has existed for a while. And I've always wondered how somebody would solve it because uh, in some ways you're almost being like a sales assistant for salespeople, but I've seen a lot of companies try that, but because they don't understand the intricacies um, of what a sale, an SDR specifically goes through yeah. um, the business doesn't do well or the execution of that side is not well uh, strong. Can, can you talk a little bit about what makes Tash Drive unique to SDRs and AEs? Yeah, sure. And, and it's funny you should say this because since we last spoke, I, um, I saw that a com- I can't remember the name of the company, but they've hired somebody to support their SDRs. They've hired a full-time individual to support the SDR function. So to do effectively what, what Tash Drive can do, but they've decided to do that in-house and probably because they weren't finding a good match for, to be mm-hmm. able to outsource that and, and that. But in, in terms of in terms of Task Drive, one of the reasons I joined the company is that when I kind of was on the outside and I looked in and I, I was able to see behind the curtain, I could see a really, really well-optimized machine there um, from the hiring, the training, the development of the individuals, the researchers and the CSMs that we have. They're all very, very good at their component parts of, of what they are here to deliver at Task Drive. And where we are slightly more unique in the sense of from what I have seen from maybe some of our competition or just out there in the market is we generally care about why our customers need the data. You know, we, we don't charge per row uh, mm-hmm. and we, we, we don't charge on performance because we don't do appointment setting or anything like that. It's just the research and data enrichment. But we really want to know what are you using the data for? Where is it going? What are you going to be doing with it? If it's just going to the sales team, does your marketing team need it? Could they use this data? Could they use this data to do some pre-targeting whilst you load them into your outbound email sequences? So there's a bit of frequency there for your brand. Um, And it's having these conversations and and I guess coming from a consultant point of view and and really understanding the challenge because a lot of times companies come to us and say, yeah, we we just need a list. And then I say, well, yeah, but any list that I give you in any industry, only 3%. It's been known fact from Chet Holmes for, for a number of years now. Only 3% will be actively buying. And a further 7% may be interested in buying. 90% aren't. So I can keep giving you a list each month, but only 10% is likely going to be interested. And then your messaging has to be right. And your, yeah. um, your, your approach has to be right to, to get in front of them. And where we're slightly different to, again, in, in comparison to others is, I really don't want to build, I really don't want to give a list of 2000 contacts. I don't want to give a list of 2000 VPs of sales in San Francisco to a company. I genuinely don't want to do that because it's not the best way to do prospecting in 2019. I would much rather understand what signals or what buying intent happens for these customers and then find the customers that are putting their hand up, putting the customers that are in market and customers that are genuinely interested in, in a solution or might be in a more of a position now than they would be just being on a static list. And I think that's really where the key difference um, is. Got it. Um, and how do you how do you get to that level of understanding? Do you, do you have like a consultant engagement first or is there another method that you use for that? Yeah, so we we have an onboarding process, which is is, is pretty thorough. Um, so typical, the typical sales process is an intro call with, with myself or one of the sales team um, where we, it's just a discovery call. It's 
look, is this a good fit? Is, is all we're trying to work out. Um, from there, if it is a good fit, uh, the, you, typically the customer signs up and we have a very low friction kind of sign up process, which offers them a sample uh, run, a test run of, of data. So within 48 hours, we, we give them um, around 20 to 40 uh, rows of data based on the onboarding call that they have and the kickoff meeting. So we go through uh, the, the the company, the background, uh, what it is they're trying to achieve, what they've done to date to try and achieve this, because oftentimes companies have, you know, they may have tried um, cold email two years ago, and then they're still saying, well, that, no, it doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. Cold email doesn't work. And I would say, well, try it again, because things change. And maybe if, with more personalized messaging, maybe with the right, like, I don't know what you did two years ago. For, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's worth, it's worth trying again with the right messaging at the right time and with the right data. Um, so yeah, so so mainly uh, it's a consulting period through the onboarding process, and, and one that um, the CSM, that, sorry, customer success managers are very much involved in um, before before bringing the researchers in. So um, our, our researchers follow the instructions, but the instructions are really put together by the customer success manager and then agreed upon by the customer. Um, so we make sure that our customer can see the exact instructions that our researchers are following. Um, and, you know, with, with any sort of any new project, with any new business, there's always some learnings to begin with. So we refine the process over the first few weeks. But typically after the second or third week, we are uh, the, the engine is well and truly turning in terms of, um, of the output that we can produce for our customers. And Mark, it, at, um, at Tash Drive, what what uh, silos are, are, are you over? Is it sales, marketing, customer service or what, what combination is that? Yeah, so it's um, probably there's four main. So it's sales is one, marketing is the other, um, customer success is, is the other, and then it's operations. But I see that more as product. Uh, my background has been in SaaS and technology companies. So I'm treating kind of operations and, and our service as a product still. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. what, are, what are the product updates? Like I, I want to know what we're releasing. And by releasing, it's mainly training and development into the team mm-hmm. to, to continuously improve their skills. And and introducing, you know, more coaching rather than, um, you know, here's here's the new instructions of how to do X. It's more like let's practice together doing X and report back and let's continuously learn um, a little bit like you would continuously iterate your software. Um, so, yeah, so it's those, those four are the main kind of pillars. Got it. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how you got the CRO role and, and how, how that origin happened? Sure. So I guess... Um, I'll go back three years. This is where it really started. I um I was coming up to the age of 30 and I decided to take an early retirement. So <laughs> I went uh, traveling for 12 months, um, but I obviously didn't have a retirement fund. So I knew I had to go back to work. So the early retirement um, <laughs> failed. And um, I uh, I was on the road. I was actually in, in Santiago in Chile and an old contact of mine contacted me and asked me if I could help with a, a HubSpot CRM implementation. And I said, yeah, why not? I just n- named a figure and... Um, he put that forward to his, to his, um, his contact and they said, yes. So I, I just basically extended my stay for a week, uh, did the work, got paid quite nicely, especially when I was in South America and just about to go to Southeast Asia. Yeah. I was about and, to ask you, did you charge enough? We usually consult. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, oh, hold on. Uh, London rates. Um, gotcha. I just, uh, I just spoke in Spanish the whole time. No, no, actually. <laughs> um, the, so yeah, so that kind of opened my eyes to actually, I have a skill, uh, it's in demand and I can do this remotely. So it kind of ticked a lot of boxes, uh, for, for me. Um, so I did return to the UK um, just because uh, the, the trip was coming to a natural end. And I decided to set up my own consultancy where I pretty much offered uh, sales and marketing automation, tech stack builds and implementations. Um, so consulted with um, around 20 SaaS businesses, a couple of B2B services, um, various different engagements. 
Um, but whilst I was doing that, I was always keen to kind of be sharing my knowledge, sharing my learnings as uh, when I could, obviously keeping things confidential. But if there was a particular automation that was working, I'd share that with with my network and, and with, with the, the people that I would um, speak to on a regular basis. And it just so happened that um, part of this journey, I was invited to join Growth Mentor, mm-hmm. which is a platform for pre-vetted kind of mentors that have specific skill sets and people come on the platform to, to ask them questions and um, one of the other mentors on there is actually the, the founder of, of Task Drive and he wanted to pick my brains about outbound prospecting and a few other things uh, so we, yeah we, we, we spoke spoke for about two months and then we both were at Sasta Europa uh, and he had previously asked if I could kind of spend a bit of time on, on Task Drive and, and just kind of give that external objective point of view uh, but I was just too busy with, with, with client work at the time um, but we met anyway in, in France at Sasta Europa. And um, yeah, he, he, he asked if I'd want to join Task Drive as, as CRO. Um, definitely could see me helping out with the operations as well as sales and the marketing and, and customer success. So um, yeah, I, I, it was a big change for me because I've just got used to two years of running my own consultancy. I kind of liked it, but there's pros and cons and there was pull and pushes for, for me making the decision. So, um, but in the end, I, I decided to go uh, with task drive and yeah have a look back really enjoying it so far yeah let's let's um let's stay on the i want to stay on the consultant topic for one second mm-hmm. so um because it seems it sounds like it's pretty formative in, in what you're doing now what what was what so did the consulting agency did you already have it and then you or it was a it was formed after a reaction to the hubspot implementation that you did so so i'd always had you know a little side project going on i'd always had since since the, those very first days of um the internet uh, the dummy's guide to internet marketing <laughs> I, I i formed my consultancy just yet not not formally and because i was doing the work for free because i was trying to learn okay. um it was the easiest thing to sell free uh, because uh, there's no cost or objection to it but um, I kind of said, "Well, that's all my yellow O stuff," which was the name of the consultancy agency. So I had, I had the, I had that there, but I didn't have like the the legal or formal structure to it. Mm-hmm. So I started that went after, yeah, after um, the the implementation I did whilst I was I was traveling. So that all went through through the business uh, as I okay. made that decision to kind of let to do this as as a full time full time role. So, like, were there any lessons that you learned doing the consulting that you were immediately that were immediately useful to you when you took over the CRO role at Task Drive? Yeah. So, what one of the one of the reasons why I decided to consult was that I I love working for one company, but I do sometimes feel like you don't learn as much because you're mm-hmm. just focused on the one company. So, when when I was consulting, you know, I had like I said, twenty to thirty actual paying clients, but I often had a lot of conversations with other founders that weren't the right fit or it wasn't the right time for me, or, or I turned around and said, you don't need this. It's, you know, it's, it's not the right time for you. And, um, but I got insights into what they were doing, what their processes were, what their challenges were, what, what, what things were working really well. And, you know, I was just able to collectively look at 20 companies at one time, well, uh, okay. for a period of time and just say, <laughs> ah, okay, so here are the things that are working in each of these businesses that are working really, really well. And, and so one example is partnerships. The majority of the successful companies that I worked with had a strong emphasis on building partnerships. And it didn't have to be a formal partnership agreement. It was more of a, hey, you work with our ideal customers, but you don't sell the same product or service as us. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should maybe we should co-market. Maybe we should share knowledge with each other and share knowledge with each other's audiences because that could be beneficial. Uh, and by by doing that and by kind of showing up um, with the audience that you're, you're kind of your, your target audience, um, 
you generate leads. It just it just happens quite naturally because you're coming as a, a trusted advisor. You're not just a um, another vendor or another supplier trying to sell something. Um, so that was one of the key things that I saw from um, from from my consulting experience. And and you know I think any SaaS product or any business is built on a core foundation of a good product or a good service, and then three pillars, which are sales, marketing, and partnerships. And those are the things that I've kind of gone in and kind of taken. If, if I could cookie cutter anything, those three, uh, the, the, sorry, those four, the product, sales, marketing, and partnerships is just kind of, I've stamped into Task Drive and now we're building out around those those different core cores. And Mark, do you, with the partnerships, I know a lot of times it could end up in um, spinning your wheels around a lot. Do sure. you do you have a way of, of I guess, combating that before yeah. you get to that stage or is it just kind of an inevitable part of it, of the process? Yeah. So I think what you need to do is position yourself in a way that it's so advantageous for them to, to know you and to partner with you that it makes sense for them to market you. And mm. what I mean by that is I look at where my potential partners, customers are churning. So how with, so let, let me use, and it's not a company that we're working with, but I'll use an example Let's look at the Albacross or Leadworks, the reverse IP lookup platforms. Mm-hmm. They're great if you have the time to sit down and work out which individual at Sony looked at your website. Mm-hmm. They're great if you can, uh, they're not great if somebody at Microsoft looks at your website. And, and sometimes they're not great because people are logging in from WeWork and you have no idea who they are. <laughs> so, you, so you can't work out who those contacts are. However, there, there is a segment of visitors that visit the site or if, you're, if you are in a niche uh, if, if, if your uh, product offering is kind of like a, in a niche market, you can identify that actually, even within big companies, there's only a few people within that company that would be looking at these particular pages or could be. Mm-hmm. So, so what, we, what we're doing for some of our customers is we're logging into their reverse IP platforms and we're doing that research for them because our customers were finding that they didn't have the time to do it because sure. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of legwork to do. So we've taken Task Drive's process and procedures and just stood in and then kind of position ourselves in between the software and then the customer. So what we're doing for a number of our customers at the moment is doing that research and then finding it and then uh, finding out what pages they were looking at and then taking additional personalized data points, such as how long they've been in the role, some case studies on the website, whatever, whatever the personalized data points may be. And we're actually giving our customers the first sentence that they need to use in that email that goes oh. out to, the, to that individual. Um, we, we, that's not a service, by the way. No, <laughs> it's, I know. Uh, that, that doesn't that doesn't happen for everybody. But for for this particular for this particular one of the particular customers, it's actually very simple. Others, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more complex. But we are helping them start the conversation. So they so our customers see the value in the reverse IP lookup, but weren't getting the most out of it. Got the it. Reverse IP lookup companies saw that companies could get value, but they didn't want to offer that service themselves, but mm-hmm. knew that that was a gap in in their product usage and and their customer success or or, or the success of their customer. So what I want to do as Task Drive is position ourselves in between there. Now, one day, if they had a Task Drive button that you could click in their software that would ping one of our researchers who would do the research and send it back, that would be awesome. Um, but we're not there yet. But that's, that's where, when I'm spotting or looking for partnership opportunities, that, that's the sort of process that I go through. Where can I help my partners reduce their churn or sell more even? Could be sell more. Got it. No, it's, it's a great example. Um, so you're just playing that consulting role and looking for an opportunity to help out mm-hmm. and then things can grow from there. Awesome. Yeah. 
Um, all right. I want to switch roles a little bit because I, I love this part uh, where uh, I, I was reading about the, the drinks box, <laughs> yeah, uh, which it looks like is a family business. Is that correct? It is. Can, yeah. Can you tell us how that got started? It sounds like it's pretty old. Uh, yeah, well, like I've been running it for a while. Yeah. So it's, I think we're in, into our fourth year now. Um, so the drinks box is a, a converted horse trailer mobile bar. Um, so we, um, so in America it'd be like a food truck, right? It'd be, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a food truck, but um, okay. we put horses in it because in England we're in, in the UK, we're a bit weird like that. But no, no, it's, um, yeah, it, it was once a horse trader and we, we actually, we didn't do the, the fit out ourselves. Somebody else did. And, um, but they kind of sourced the trader and, and, and they, they fit it out to our requirements and then we got it delivered to us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mobile bar. It's used for weddings, private events, corporate events, as, as well as um, public events as well. So we do a lot of um, the Tough Mudder and Spartan races. So sometimes really? we're at those and we provide the bar there because everybody wants a beer after you've just run 18 miles through, <laughs> through mud and, and yeah, electric through, shops. Through fake violence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, weddings and, uh, are a key market of ours as well. Um, it's effectively, it's, it's, my dad is the, the main uh, employee, I guess. Uh, I help out with sales and marketing. My brother, um, his experience is in hospitality and, and staffing. So that helps from uh, that side of things. And my mum is kind of like front of house and um, she supports with kind of something with the operations too. Um, so yeah, How did that go- come about? Uh, this is a really long story, which I don't think we've got time to go into. Um, <laughs> my mum's my boss at the time had a champagne brand he was trying to wrap uh he put oh god he was trying to wrap a rolls royce um in a certain in the brand colors okay this, okay this is important um what's also important is that um he is french belgian he's also from from belgium too so his accent is a little bit hard to catch sometimes <laughs> so my my mum he said rolls royce my mum heard horse trader um, get out of here yeah i know i know she heard horse trader and she said oh no, a horse trader that would be that's a really good idea for a champagne brand because you know, wealth and, and horses and, and champagne and, and spartan fizzies and um her director was like no no it's a, a rolls royce so he had actually had to show her the photo and then um but it was like yeah but a a a, a, a horse trader is a really good idea for, for a bar now <laughs> That's to say, there, there were previous horse trader bars, just that we, they weren't really in our optics. We hadn't really seen them. What, like, why did, he, why did somebody come to your mom for advice on that in the first place? Uh, yeah, so my mom uh, is an uh, executive assistant, and she's the lady that you go to to get shit done, basically. She can, <laughs> she can solve any problem. So he was actually it. asking her, where can I find a vinyl supplier uh, that could wrap a Rolls Royce in the branding of his champagne brand? So this is a side project that he had. Um, in, in the company that they were working uh, at the time. Um, so he asked my mum. My mum has heard Rolls Royce, heard Horse Trader. We were out for my brother's uh, birthday. We were going for a family meal. My mum mentioned it. And we all kind of just had a moment where we just thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, horse <laughs> trader. Like, that could be, that dad could do the main the main work. I could help with the website and the sales. And David could do the, the operations and stock and the, the pricing and everything. And mum can help with front of house and bookings. And, you know, I, I genuinely thought after the meal, like, everyone's going to forget this and no one's going to talk about it again. Um, but two days later, you know, my dad had a list of stuff. My brother had been doing research. My mom had been looking and I had too. Uh, and then from there on, we, we decided to, to go forward with it. And yeah, now, now we're in our, I think we're coming up to our fourth year in, in October. Yeah, this month. That's awesome. Is your, is your dad like or mom entrepreneurial in nature? Because most people, like you said, would have that idea and then it kind of falls on the, dead on the vine. Yeah, no, not really, to be honest. They're not too entrepreneurial. Um, 
I mean, my dad for my dad worked for a company for 30 odd years and, you know, he didn't go to university. And when I was going to university, he was like, make sure you go to university, get a good degree, get a good job and they'll look after you. Um, and whilst I was at university, he was uh, made redundant during the recession in the UK um, back in around 2008, it was. Mm-hmm. And he'd worked for the company for 30 years and he rang me and he said, fuck it, everything I've told you is wrong. Do what you want. Do do things that make you happy, because even if you do work hard, they won't always look after you. And it was quite a, I think, a very sobering moment for him and, and, and a very pivotal moment for me, too. Um, so that gave me the thought of that gave me the kind of, OK, I probably have to have my fingers in a few different pies at any one time, just in case something could happen. And then also he then uh, set up his own business as a, a private chauffeur. Uh, but then he kind of did get a little bit disrupted by Uber. Um, mm-hmm. when, when that started to launch into the UK. So he was looking for uh, a different um, a different uh, business, yeah, a different business idea. Although my, my dad is, uh, is uh, not too entrepreneurial by nature, but he has been an entrepreneur, if that makes sense. It doesn't come naturally to him, but he has been in that position. Yeah, he's uh, also a strong man of character to be able to admit when he's wrong, especially to a son like that about something. Yeah, yeah no, um, definitely. Yeah, I've I had conversations like that with my dad too about, um, you know, just you know, I mean, little things like four hundred one ks or whatever, just things yeah. not things breaking down and not being yeah. as they were thirty years ago. Last thing, last thing I want to cover, Mark, is on the uh, tech stars. Can you tell us about um, what company you started to get into tech stars and what that process was like? Yeah, so this again, <clears throat> this started off by, I don't think I've mentioned this. I have a an ethos of like giving first and always be connecting and always be connecting to me as like introducing other people to other people, but also speaking to people, just speaking to, to, to maybe people at an event that you're at and just going out of your way to say hi and speak to people. And it just so happened that I was at an event about a year and a half ago now and um, sat next to, uh, sat down and there was a guy behind me and I turned around with, with a beer and I, was, I started speaking to him and got chatting and he was working on this startup in stealth, couldn't tell me much about it. And um, I was a consultant, working as a consultant at the time. I was like, well, if you want an objective point of view and I'd take a look at the, the kind of the pitch deck. So once he could tell me what it was, which is about a few weeks later, he had a, a couple of things, the legal reasons why he was still in stealth mode, but mm-hmm. non-competes and stuff. And um, he, uh, he shared it with me when I could, when he could. I gave him some real honest feedback and we haven't known each other for too long, Christian, but I don't really hold back too much. And um, that's why people <laughs> call me the bullshit filter sometimes, but I'm um, not afraid to call it <laughs> when, when it is. But he, uh, yeah, so his idea was, uh, and still is, sorry, is, is a platform for freelance and consultants to help them with their insurance and benefits. Mm-hmm. Because often when you go into the world of work and as a freelancer, as a consultant, all of that is taken away from you. And it's even more important in America with the healthcare uh, situation in, in America, whereas the, U- the UK can rely on the NHS for now. Um, so he was building his platform. And um, so I gave him some feedback and tech, so he hadn't even applied to Techstars and we kept in touch. And I introduced him to a few, to a few other people. He was originally from Australia and I, I knew some guys who were expats living in the UK, but from Australia, they would live around the corners. So they went for beers and coffees and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, by just keeping in touch with him over the next couple of months, he then told me about Techstars and asked me if I'd want to join them as a kind of like an advisor for marketing and partnerships and go to North Carolina for a month. Mm-hmm. and finish the Texas experience with them. So help them prepare for demo day, doing pitches to, to, to sorry, uh, preparing the pitch for investors and, and the demo day presentation. And last year around this time was in, it was in North Carolina, um, helping them out with that. Uh, oh, so y'all was, were doing Techstars in the, in the States. There's not yeah. one in the UK. Okay. 
Yeah, wow. so it was a, an insure tech one. So it was mainly it was in North Carolina with uh, MetLife. Okay. It was, it. All, it was a great experience. I kind of knew it was a it wasn't a, a long term thing, but it was like you know four four months in total of some me giving advice and, and helping them for a textile experience. And, and yeah, it was, it was a great experience. That's awesome. And they're still they're still running. Yeah, they're still running. Um, he uh, I believe is actually I need to catch up with him soon. I'm, I'm, I'm due a beer when I'm back in the UK with him. <laughs> Okay, Mark, quick hit Q&A. Answers are meant to be fast, but if you want to <laughs> go long, feel free. All right. Um, what annoys you? <laughs> uh, quite a lot. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, really little things that shouldn't, like uh, tea bags being left in the sink after they've kind of been used and dunked. That's a very British problem, obviously. Um, people, uh, odd socks as well. That, that's, that, do you, that's do you have a roommate to... or are you married? Uh, no, no, my girlfriend, but it's, it's not, it's not just her either. It's oh, okay. just, it, it, life in general. <laughs> life in general. Gotcha. <laughs> um, who's a mentor uh, to you that probably doesn't know it? Yeah. There, well, there's a cut. There's a, I wouldn't say they're mentors, but there's a couple of, I guess, influencers like David Scott, Matrix Partners and Dan Martell. Okay. I watch and follow their stuff religiously in terms of the, the content they produce. Um, Again, for me, they have that give first uh, mentality. They just offer so much value and it's all kind of, it's all uh, ungated as well. And I think that's, that's the key. But yeah, Dan, I think Dan just, he just launched the podcast. It's uh, pretty good. Yeah, that's um, right. What's a blind spot that you had in your twenties that you clearly see now? Uh, so this is, it's still a blind spot. I am ridiculously cynical of most things. And <laughs> that, that was, uh, it was, it was created from recruitment. So you used to, I used to uh, hire, I'm um, sorry, I'd recruit somebody that'd be set, I'd, they'd be set to start a role on Monday. I'd call them on Friday and I'd say, Christian, so glad that you're going to be starting your new job. Everything okay? Do you know where you're going? Do you need anything? Have you got any questions from me? And they'd be like, no, Chris, Christian would say, no, Mark's absolutely fine. Can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Monday comes 10, 10 a.m. The hiring manager calls me and is like, where the fuck's Christian? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, no, he told me on Friday, he's, he's going, like, I didn't call him at 7am on Monday to make sure he was up or anything like that, because these were, these were even kind of senior people. Some of the roles I was recruiting were, you know. Holy crap. So you yeah. hired people, they would put your word on the line and they're not showing up? Yeah. Yeah. It happened more so in the more junior roles than it did in the senior roles. But uh, one of the accounts I had was a hospital and I, I dealt with a lot of uh, medical secretaries and, and clerical staff for the hospital, high volume. Um, and quite important, uh, sorry, important jobs. They needed the people there to, to help them. And, um, yeah, people just wouldn't turn up. Um, I always, I always wonder when, when I hear stories like that, or I've been in an organization where somebody doesn't show up, I'm like, what, what are they doing? Like, are they, are they, do they feel guilty at all? <laughs> They're just not showing up or they just I, completely forgot. I always wondered that. Yeah. I, I think the fear has always been, um, it's worse to say that I'm not going to do it than it would be to tell them. Like, sorry, it's, 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 yeah, it's a lot worse for me to call Mark and say that I'm not going to do it than just go in and, and not show up. Ah, so let them up. figure it out themselves. Yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't have to face the music. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm. Sorry. And then I think another, another blind spot, which is one that I've, I've definitely learned in the last few years is as a consultant. And, and, and when I look at my personality profile as well, it is, it's very much a consultant and architect problem solver. I've got to remember that when managing people and, and also in, in relationships that when people present me with a problem, they're not consulting with me to, for me to solve it. Uh, it's sometimes I just need to listen. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that was, that's been a huge blind spot for the majority of my, my life, which I'm, which I'm working on. 
Well, I think it's uh, most of our gender, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been in a lot of relationships where girls told me, don't don't try and solve my problem. Just listen. I'm like, all right. Yeah. I'm, so I'm still working on that one, too. Uh, yeah. What um, what software do you use the most? Probably Pocket for saving uh, articles to read later. And then uh, Pocket Casts to listen to podcasts. Um, real quick set, tangent on that. Do you have like, when you save those articles on, on pocket, do you have like a set time that you look at them or it's just kind of whenever you, you, you have some free time? No, usually when I have a bit of free time or when I'm travel, so I, I fly, I travel a fair bit. So I tend to just load them all up because you can watch the, read them offline, uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then, uh, listen to them. But I listen, I listen, literally listen to a podcast throughout the day, like not when I'm working, but cooking, showering, traveling, gym, um, usually got a podcast on. Do you have uh speaking of the gym, do you have a, a song that pumps you up or gets you fired up? Uh no, because I listen to podcasts. Oh, the whole time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. If you could write one thing on a billboard in Times Square, what would it be? London is better. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. All right. Um, what is your favorite? I know you have one of these. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> oh, um prick. All right. It's just such a funny word to say as well. I knew you had one of those. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Stripper. Male or you want to like switch? <laughs> Easy. Uh, <laughs> Mark, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God, Allah, Tom Cruise say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Will it be gin or tonic or whiskey, Mr. Colgan? Love it. Mark, if someone... Oh, wait, one more question. Mark, what are you doing in Bulgaria? <laughs> uh, well, we're escaping the, the gloomy gray of, of the UK. So we're in Bulgaria now, and then we'll be in uh, Greece uh, from November through to December. And then, and then we'll return to the UK for, for Christmas. When you, when you say we, you, you just mean you and your girlfriend are living there yes. right now? Okay, just me got and, it. Yeah, me and my girlfriend. Got it. Okay. Uh, Mark, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, okay. So uh, LinkedIn is usually best. So just Mark Colgan, or you can email me directly at mark at Got it. Mark Colgan, thanks so much for coming on the Ciaro Gumbo podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to CRO Gumbo. If you are having trouble with your revenue generating processes and would like to discuss one of our workshops, text CRO to 555 That's CRO 555 Now go innovate. This is the CRO Gumbo Podcast by Christian Louvier. Ow, ow.